how she became the host of Dancing with the Stars, what it was like pounding the pavement in Los Angeles for six years, the importance of staying in tune with your body, how she overcame breast cancer, what toxic ingredients to avoid in your toiletry products, the power of intermittent fasting, her go-to nighttime suite, and so much more coming right up. This is episode number three, seven, one, with former host of Dancing with the Stars, certified health coach, and best-selling author, Samantha Harris. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. Is life a little overwhelming right now? Do you feel like you're trying to do so many things, but you can't keep everything under control? If so, that's why I created the Best You Membership, to help go-getters like yourself move from overwhelmed to organized and in control of their life. If you want to learn how to keep all six areas of your life, health, personal, career, financial, spiritual, and relational, all organized and in a constant state of growth, then go to nickcarrier.com slash membership and become a Best You member today. Again, nickcarrier.com slash membership. Today, you're going to love the one and only Samantha Harris. Samantha is an Emmy-winning TV host, a certified health coach, and best-selling author. She's best known as the host of eight seasons on Dancing with the Stars and years on Entertainment Tonight and Extra. A blindsiding breast cancer diagnosis at age 40 compelled Samantha to dig deeply into research to find the why of her and so many other cancers, leading her to become a certified health coach and after writing the Amazon bestseller, Your Healthiest Healthy. Before diving in, be sure you're subscribing to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast on the Apple Podcast app, iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, and be sure you share the episode with a friend while you're listening. Just send them to nickcarrier.com slash podcast. And if you enjoy the show, then I would love it if you leave a five-star rating and review. But without further ado, here's to getting closer and closer to your best you with the one and only Samantha Harris. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Nick Carrier's Best You Podcast. Today, I am super excited to be joined by the one and only Samantha Harris. Samantha, I just want to start off by saying thanks so much for spending the time with me today. It's nice to be here, and I'm loving all the great stuff you're doing, inspiring so many people to get fit, be healthy is awesome. So thank you for doing that for everybody. Yeah, well, I appreciate it. And and right back at you, I know that from our brief conversation before hopping on and and clicking record that it's going to bring a lot of value today for people to increase, obviously, feel better and both mentally and physically and all that kind of stuff. But before we actually dive into that kind of thing, I want to dive a little bit more into your career and how you worked for Entertainment Tonight. And then you did eight seasons with Dancing with the Stars. And so I just want you to kind of reorient the listeners with regards to kind of your career path a little bit and how you got to be the host of Dancing with the Stars. Sure. Well, so I grew up in Minnesota. I live in Los Angeles now. I've been here for more than 20 years, but I I grew up in Minneapolis and I just had my eye on Hollywood from a young age. When I was 12, I asked my parents if I could have an agent and I started working in commercials and print, a lot of print work because a lot of corporate headquarters are in Minneapolis. I sort of had a pause of coming straight out to LA because I wanted a really solid education. And I went to Northwestern University in Chicago as a journalism major. So basically, while I was in college, I interned at Entertainment Tonight. And I made a beeline after college uh, out to LA and pounded the pavement for about six years, working anywhere from three to four jobs at any given time to pay the rent. So it wasn't like, oh, overnight, it just happens. It was, it, was, it was serious. How did you know at 12 years old that you had your eyes on Hollywood? You know, I don't know. It was just something so, I, I, when I was younger, it was a much more juvenile dream of I want to be a star. Yeah, right. 
as I grew up and I understood, especially when I started working in the entertainment news world and interviewing the celebrities and, and how the entertainment news world or the entertainment business and celebrity has changed drastically from even when I was a kid in you know the 70s, 80s, and 90s in Minnesota to what it is now where you have absolutely no private life, no free right. I wouldn't actually want to be a big celebrity these days. At the same time, I just, my dad produced all the rock concerts in Minneapolis. So I grew up backstage at rock concerts. I was always going to the shows, meeting all the bands before the show. And, you know, that was a really cool childhood for a Minnesota kid. And so celebrity to me was really cool. But also I saw that they were just people doing a job that entertained people. And that's what really called to me was this idea of bringing people happiness, escape from their lives and doing something that I was just drawn to and loved. And I loved being in front of a crowd. I was the kid who it was like picture time. It was like, oh, here I am, you know, not, oh, I don't want to take that picture. So I guess it was just meant to be to, to move out to LA, but it was a lot, a lot of pounding the pavement for a very long time. Whether I was 12 or I was in my twenties in LA, a lot of doors slammed, a lot of no's, a lot. And there was a determination that I had innately because I wanted it so badly that if I hadn't had that, the first or second or 470th door shut, would have been the thing that would have sent me back to Minnesota and figured out some other career. So, you know, I'm grateful that I had that, that passion because that's what leads to determination. Was there ever a time where you strongly considered trying like, you, you know, I'm not doing the LA thing anymore and I'm going to do something else. It's a great question. I know, I, I know, I think actually oddly and, and really candidly that question came after the pinnacle of my of my TV career. That came after cancer, after all the other things that came, um, as I started to shift and pivot from being a TV host to being a certified health coach and living and breathing and walking and preaching the, the wellness mission and trying to help change lives in a way that is allowing people to become healthier and more energized and uh, you know, fending off disease that to me now is my new passion. Is it, not my new passion. It's been, health and wellness has been a passion for a long time. That is my mission. That is my life statement. That is my life's purpose. But it was hard for me to make that pivot later in life because I wanted it from such a young age, and I made it happen. And I, you know, my first job was actually there's actually a show that's coming back to TV now on Fox called Joe Millionaire, like Switch It Something Something. Well, the first Joe Millionaire shows were. 20 years ago, no, 18 years ago, something like that. And I was the host of the second season of it. And that was my first primetime network hosting job. And I went to Italy for a month, shot that, came back and went right back to my day job at a management company where I was working for you know an hourly wage to pay my... Because I had no idea if I was ever going to work again in TV. you know. So I was always that worker bee that no matter what, I was always doing, juggling other stuff because I always had to have a plan B, C, and D. Yeah. So give me a little bit more insight in regards to that. Like, obviously, you know, with that show, I guess you probably sign a contract for a season or for a certain number of seasons. And right. so, like you said, you kind of needed that other job to give you a little bit of security and, and knowing that there was going to be a certain number, a certain amount of money coming in so you could pay rent or, or stuff <laughs> like that. So at what point then do you not have to necessarily need that security blanket? when I got the other job. <laughs> so basically having Joe Millionaire was sort of that leg up 
that allowed my agents to pitch me. Actually, there was a, the, the View was looking for a new full-time host. And so I was actually considered, I went to New York from LA. I guest hosted on the show for a few days. They gave me a contract offer that's called a test offer, which basically meant if I sign the offer, they needed me to come back for sort of further live audition on air. But for, they were going to have me host for a week. And it was between me and two other women. Um, one being um, Elizabeth Hasselback, who eventually took the job. And I can't remember who the third person was. So if I signed the contract and I went on air, let's say I decided, you know what, I don't want it or some other job came up, I would now would be locked into that contract. So I actually didn't sign the contract and I didn't go back for the callback because I'd been offered a full-time job at Extra, the other another entertainment news show, as the full-time weekend anchor, full-time correspondent, and a one-year contract, living in LA, not having to change my lifestyle. If I had taken the one at The View, for the first year, they were going to renew me every 13 weeks for half the pay that I was going to learn at that. So it was really a no-brainer not to sign it. But that's what allowed me to finally quit my job at the you know, my day job was because I had now a one-year contract with Extra. And then that just that was finally the thing that I went from Extra to E! News for four years. While I was at E! News is when I had that amazing phone call that said, you're, you're in consideration for, the, for Dancing with the Stars. And that you know all happened very quickly um, in terms of the offer and then a lot of negotiation with E to say, hey, I know I'm full-time for you, but can you also like, can they lend me, can you lend me over here to ABC for this show? And lots of behind the scenes work on that. But then I had both jobs. And then while I was on dancing is when I moved over to Entertainment Tonight and The Insider, which was its, just, its sister show at the time. Okay. Gotcha. I, I love it. I think that story is a great insight into that decision that you made. And one of the questions that I like to ask people a lot of times, depending on their career paths is, what is the most important decision that you made early on in your career, but that you didn't really realize how important it was going to be until later on? And so was like maybe that the answer to that, or is there some other decision that you made that turned out to be super important that you didn't really realize the significance of it at the time? No, that's a great question. I, I, um, I mean, the, the one thing is to always have something rather than leave specifically when it comes to jobs, rather than leave a job and then go see what's next. It's always easier to get a job when you have a job. So for me, having, in this case, two jobs and sometimes actually more, because while I was on dancing and doing E! News or eventually Entertainment Tonight, I also was freelance corresponding for Good Morning America. I took a summer gig starring on Broadway in Chicago while I was working full-time for The Insider from, from Times Square. They were nice enough to let me shoot from New York that summer. So I was working seven days. I mean, I was exhausted. I was working seven days a week. I had a 21-month-old and it was really challenging, but it was incredibly fulfilling because I my lifelong dream was to be on Broadway. Uh, I had a lot of dreams, but that was, that was a big one. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. That's great. Next thing I'm intrigued by, so you did eight seasons, correct, with Dancing with the Stars? Yeah. From... Season to season, how did either you or the team or the company kind of assess the performance of the prior season? And how did you assess how you kind of wanted to improve either individually or as a, the show as a whole? How did you kind of assess the performance and then determine how you wanted to improve? In terms of the show as a whole, you know, that's that's an animal that's really up to the network executives and they they oftentimes find there are big changes they need that they make that aren't actually really, but they end up being are, are the changes 
that the audience really wants or that the audience even notices, but they think it's a big change that they needed. But so really all I can speak to is personally. Um, so a lot of, you'll hear a lot of actors say, oh, I never watch myself on, you know, on screen. I, oh God, no. And I understand that as an actor because you're playing someone else and maybe that takes you out of it. I had the opposite. I watched almost everything I did, um, especially in my early days. And here's why, because I wanted to improve. What, was that inflection the way I really should have said that? Was that question for that interview, how I should have phrased it, or was there a better way to phrase it? Oh, what was, should my follow-up question should have been this? Was I actually focusing on my next question that I'd written down rather than listening to the answer of my interview subject so that I could then carry on from there? You know, so it was very helpful to me, you know, even just even from the basic physical. Did my hair work? Was the makeup working? Is that outfit good for me? Was that color good for me? All of those things, which is continue the voiceovers. How are my voiceovers? The narration of the segment. Where should I make the change? So all of those little tweaks came from me watching myself back, which sounds really self-serving on the surface, but it had a true growth underlying reason. Yeah. Well, I think that's such an important lesson for everybody is to be okay with watching yourself do something or evaluating your performance. You know, you, it's obviously most popular when it comes to sports. Everybody talks about watching, or at least it is for me, because I, I played football and you always watch film the week after to see how you did and where you can improve and what you did well. And, you know, there's always those plays that are coming up and you're like, oh, I don't want to see myself doing this play. I did not do good. But it's like, you can't let the fact that you're uncomfortable to watch it hold you back from actually watching it because you can really benefit from it and learn from it. And so- while I can understand people's reasoning of it's painful and it's weird to watch myself, to me, you have to get over it. Well, it's that, you know, getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, right? And that whether that means with your workout, with how you're eating, with what you're doing with your job and evaluating yourself and being able to, you know, obviously with exercise, it doesn't mean go to a point of pain, but, you know, if you're trying a new workout that just, you feel like you have two left feet and this isn't working for you, just go with it. Let yourself try because you might discover it's, you know, I was never a runner, but I decided I needed to change things up. And I added running into my repertoire of my week. And that's what I do once a week now. I still don't love, love, love it, but I still look forward to it in a way because it's changing everything up and I'm outside. My husband said to me the other day, it was really cold. Well, LA cold. It was like 40 something in the morning. And I was like, Ooh, it's going to be cold on this run today. He said, well, why don't you just use a treadmill? I said, no, no, I need to be outside. I need to have that fresh air. I need to be in the sunlight and hear the birds. So awesome. Awesome. Well, I kind of want to jump into the, uh, you're, you're a certified health coach now. And I kind of want to dive into more of that because I know my audience is going to love hearing some of your tips and, and pieces of advice and, and wisdom and stuff. So a little bit more of your story though, is that at 40, you were diagnosed with breast cancer. And I think one of the things that I was either reading or heard you say was that there have been studies that show like maybe five to 10% of breast cancer diagnoses are because of genetics and another maybe 90 to 95% are because of behavioral things. And so what are some of those things that we need to be doing to, that we need to be doing that females need to be doing to- Hey, men get uh, breast cancer and there's a lot of- and, and do by they really? The way, they do. I don't do. think I knew that. It's not as clearly, it's not as common, but they know yeah. they do. I, I actually had a, um, a close- relative, I mean, who was in his late 60s, but who got breast cancer. But you know, like, here's the thing, the lifestyle changes that one would make to try to mitigate a breast cancer risk are the same changes that are going to also mitigate 
heart disease, type two diabetes, obesity, autoimmune disorders, and the gamut of things that can come at us. So just to take your listeners back for a sec. So at 40, I was as fit and healthy as I had ever been, or so I thought. And, you know, I been you know on the cover of 10 or 11 different fitness magazines people would always ask me how i you know what do you do to eat what's your what's your regimen and i thought oh here i am giving all this great advice like hey i eat every you know within an hour of waking i eat every three to four four hours to keep your metabolism going i've totally changed that completely i can share why later but all and and what i was eating and how i was eating and then here i was blindsided by a breast cancer diagnosis that i had after a clear mammogram 11 days later i found a lump Clear mammogram, 11 days later, I was changing after a workout. I found a lump. The moral of this story, if you take nothing else away, whether you're a woman or you're a man, know your body, listen to your body. The more healthfully you live your life from exercising, eating right, stressing less, the more you can notice when changes occur. Because your doctor at the once a year physical isn't going to necessarily know everything. Yes, the blood work can show some things, listening to your heart, knowing what your blood pressure is and so on. But that's the biggest takeaway. So for me, I thought, okay, here I am. I thought I was doing everything I was supposed to. And now I have a breast cancer diagnosis with a three and a six-year-old at home. I lost my dad when he was 50. I'm not going to not be there for my kids' weddings and to know my grandkids like my I lost my dad to do. So what was going on? And I'm a journalist. So there I was researching and figuring out what's going on when one in eight women are diagnosed with invasive breast cancer over the course of a lifetime. And only five to 10% of those are actually genetic. And maybe we can even chalk up another 5% to just the who knows what the mm, is going on, just crazy stuff happens. That leaves 85 to 90% of breast cancers based on our lifestyles, the epigenetics of, and I love the study of epigenetics, which is how lifestyle and environment affects what's happening within you for your overall well-being. Most of us are probably carrying around some cancer cells and different genetic defects and DNA strands that could go awry at any minute, but they're only triggered. They're only flipped on. That switch turns on when we are abusing our bodies. And it doesn't mean that we the abuse has to become because we're an alcoholic or we're only eating fried food every day or we're never exercising. It actually can happen from much smaller things. So what can we do to take control? And that was my aha moment. That was my pivot from TV host to certified health coach because all the information that I learned I wanted to share with others. I wrote the book called Your Healthiest Healthy in 2018. I was honored that it was a bestseller uh, debuting on Amazon. And But from Your Healthiest Healthy as a book, it's really now grown to spawn retreats. I have a wellness community that's a membership, a subscription base. And then every week I do a live coaching, a live guest expert. I bring in different challenges every week. I'm certified as a trainer as I have been for many years. That was one of my many jobs when I was found in the pavement. And so I teach a workout class every week for all levels. But all different tools for people to realize, wait, I can take care of my health. I can take control of my health. I don't have to live in a state of sick care where I just go to the doctor when something's wrong, but I can actually try to mitigate anything from ever actually happening, even though we can't control every possibility. It sure do a heck of a lot. Don't you agree, Nick? Oh, yeah. 100%. 100%. So what are, were there major habit changes or some of these lifestyle changes that you made post-diagnosis that you realized maybe weren't serving you in the way that maybe you thought they were or just things that you needed to implement that you weren't doing 
post-diagnosis and kind of being cancer-free? Tremendously. So first of all, let's just talk nutrition for a moment. I thought, and this might be, I, yeah, I'm not sure where you come from uh, in your perspective, <laughs> especially being in fitness, but because I was so much about building muscle, wanting to look as lean and cut as possible next to all those fabulous dancers on Dancing with the Stars. And just because I realized when I, when I, was, when I was back to that 12-year-old girl in Minnesota asking for the agent, I also thought that this is the world of Linda Evangelista. Your young viewers are going to say, who are these people? And Claudia Schiffer and you know, all these supermodels, Kate Moss. I wanted to be a supermodel. Okay, I, They're like 5'10 and taller. I stopped growing at 5'4", if that. But what I realized is that I found my body. I wasn't going to be this tall life girl, but I found that I could actually be really cut and really lean. And a lot of that came from exercise, but a lot of it came from, or so I thought, from eating a lot of animal protein. I Breakfast, lunch, dinner, either eggs or yogurt or chicken or turkey, you know, fish, not a lot of red meat once I left Minnesota because I had had enough of cows by then. And so one of the biggest changes that I made nutritionally was whittling down from 21 meals a week of animal protein to, I mean, now eight and almost seven and a half years out of cancer, I would say I have fish definitely once a week because I do love my sushi, Um, fish maybe once or twice a week and poultry maybe once every other week, occasionally once a week, one meal a week. And had you said that that was going to be my way of eating seven or eight years ago? I would have said, oh, not, not a chance. I don't even know how, what, what, what would I eat? How do you eat anything if you're not eating animal? Um, and so I've changed a lot to nutrient-dense, whole foods, plant-based, as many veggies as I can get in a day, my, my beets, my nuts, my seeds, my smoothies in the morning, or my acai bowls, my, my huge robust salads with lentils or garbanzo beans and avocados, dinners that are different, you know, whether it's a, a plant-based bean burger or you know, a tofu scramble or something. I, you, know, you guys are like, okay, ew. But though I would have said the same thing. And it's amazing how we can change our taste buds and change our desires and satiety based on when we understand the full picture of the why, meaning what we really want for our lives. I want to live a long, healthy life, know my grandkids and be able-bodied and sound of mind in my 90s. And then the what, how do I get there? And so by combining those things, and I don't stand on a soapbox and say, this is who everybody in my community has to eat this way. Some people need a little more meat. Some people need, you know, we figuring out what your dietary needs are based on a bio-individual basis. So that was one of the biggest first changes that I made, but there are a lot of those. Yeah, no, that's great. I love it. I love it. And so now I'm, you know, interested before we hopped on or before I clicked record, we talked about how there's a lot of times this gap between knowing what to do and, and actually doing it. And everybody knows they should eat more vegetables, right? But but we still need to shove it down their throat that they they should do it. And so my next question is practical with regards to, okay, your your diet used to be this and now it's super different. Obviously, it's been a while that since you've changed it now, but what do you think were some of the things that set you up for success that actually allowed you to change the diet dramatically the way you did? And Nick, that's a really good question. We can be so overwhelmed with all the changes, whether we're a couch potato who all of a sudden realizes, okay, it's time to start exercising. I have to start moving my body to someone who is a total meat eater, barely eating vegetables to wanting to eat veggies, or even one other topic that we should definitely touch on, which is the toxins in our, our products, our personal care products. I was being shellacked with 
God knows what kind of chemical bombs of toxic ingredients in the makeup and the hairsprays and everything for TV every day. And the, the cleaning supplies in my home. And when we talked about epigenetics earlier, you know, how our environment comes into play, not just from the air we breathe around us, but what are we putting on our body and around our body every day, air fresheners, scented candles, and so on. And, and what are the healthier, safer ways to do it? So lots of things can be overwhelming when we want to make these changes. So I also was very overwhelmed. The biggest thing that helped me and that helps my private clients and the members of your Healthiest Healthy community are small, manageable, attainable steps. So did I go from 21 meals of animal protein down to two a week like that? No, heck no. I started by just trying to change up my breakfast, you know, and I also used to eat a big amount of cereal. So the sugar, right? We have so many hidden sugars in everything, things we don't even think of our sweet from our pasta sauces and our ketchups and our breads. So starting to just become aware without making any changes, just become aware. What are you eating? How are you eating? What's in the products you're eating? If you're eating meat, where are you sourcing it? Is it from you know the grocery store, the conventionally raised beef and chicken, or are you getting grass fed? Are you getting you know poultry that is pasture raised and organic? Are you having a huge slab, or are you having a, you know the two to four ounce portion that is really more what the body needs? You know we come from America where we eat like everything's a big slab of meat right front and center. That if I'm not getting that twelve ounce steak, well you know then I'm not getting my money's worth. But what's happening is your body's getting harmed because of it. So small steps. Um, when it came to my personal care products, the first thing I changed was my deodorant. And I wasn't even aware that I was using toxic products with parabens and phthalates and 1,4-dioxane and all these talc and formaldehyde and these things that I didn't even know were harmful. And a bunch of other breast cancer survivors said to me at different times, well, are you still using aluminum in your deodorant? And I went, I don't, I, I don't even know what's in my deodorant. I just, I know that doesn't make me smell or sweat, you know? And so making that change because making sure that, well, first we need to sweat. We need to get the toxins out. So now switching to an aluminum free, but then that led me to let's read what's in the labels in my makeup and understand. And by the way, for anyone who's listening, if you guys have questions because it is so overwhelming, please do reach out to me. I'm really good about responding, whether through the comments in my Instagram or DMs or on Facebook. That's Samantha Harris TV on both. Because I, I find that when we have an accountability partner like you are, Nick, to so many, uh, it makes a big difference. Yeah, no doubt. Well, and, and I've heard the the aluminum in the deodorant thing before. Uh, and I know you said people can ask you questions, but like, let's, let's go to just one other example. Like, is there a, a makeup product that a lot of people you feel like don't know about this ingredient that they need to make sure that they avoid? We'll be back to the interview in just a second. But first, I wanted to share a quick testimonial from a past participant of the 10-week transformation program. I started running the 10WT in the beginning of 2020, and I've had over 150 people on counting go through it, and they've seen amazing results both inside and out. If you're inspired to join after listening to the testimonial, then go to nickcarrier.com to learn more. We'll get back to the episode in just a minute, but first, here's what they had to say. Hi, my name is Abby. I joined Nick's 10-week program to eat healthier and get stronger. This is the healthiest that I've ever eaten, and I could tell changes in my body within the first few weeks. My favorite part of the program is the accountability that the program and Nick offers. You should join Nick's 10-week program. 
Well, you know, actually, let's go with sunscreen because that's something both for men and women, right? So sunscreen, I, I live in LA, so obviously we use a lot of sunscreen here. But I used to go, you know, like I had two kids, I was you know, just starting out. So I would go for the cheapest, biggest bottle of whatever sunscreen I could find at the pharmacy. And what I realized is that there, so there's topical sunscreen and chemical, so mineral and chemical. The mineral sits on the top of the skin and isn't absorbed. The chemical goes down. That's why I have to wait the 30 minutes to be able to have that effective nature of that substance. So what ends up happening is a lot of them are toxic for us. Um, so toxic for us that even the uh, governments in Hawaii and in the Florida Keys have banned avobenzene, octanoxate, these basic ingredients that are a lot of the chemical sunblockers because it harms the coral reef. Well, if it's going to harm the coral reef, which is a heck of a lot tougher than our little sweet skin here, right? So changing to just a mineral-based sunscreen. So zinc oxide or titanium dioxide as the only active ingredients. And then it has, you know, making sure you're paraben free and there's a lot of other stuff, but that's a really good small step when changing, especially if you're, you know, protecting your face when you go outside every day to put on an SPF 30. Yeah, no, I, I definitely had never known that. So is, are those ingredients what people need to look for, or does it say mineral or chemical on it? Or is it just those kind of ingredients that you named? Great, great question. So I'm a big fan, whether it's your personal care products or your foods, reading the labels, because there are a lot of claims on the packaging. The marketing gurus at these big companies, oh, they are smart. I mean, you walk down the cereal aisle of full sugar-laden, straight-to-death type of cereals that say heart-healthy, boost immunity, crazy claims. So you really have to be an empowered consumer and take it upon yourself to read the ingredients. It takes just a couple extra seconds to flip things around. When it comes to makeup products, there's there's a wonderful, both for actually for food and makeup, there's a wonderful website called the Environmental Working Group, ewg.org, environmentalworkinggroup.org. They're a nonprofit. They do a lot of lobbying of Congress to make life better for us and healthier as consumers. But they have a rating system of one to 10, one being the cleanest, 10 being the most toxic. And so any ingredient that you might want to put on your body, you can put into their skin deep database and it'll spew out the one through 10 number, or you can put a product in and it'll give you what the average of all the ingredients are. It's a really great resource for that. And they also have ratings for pesticides on food called the dirty dozen. So if you're looking where to spend your money and you want to kind of avoid the pesticides that can be harmful to us, you go to the dirty dozen list and it'll give you the 12 most pesticide heavy produce. And then also it has a full list and then the clean 15, which are the ones where if you really want to buy conventional, have at it. Mm, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's great. I definitely will look that up. I, did, I never do that. That's one of the things I always try to teach my clients. Like I always say, but thinking of looking at an ingredient label is like playing golf, the lowest number wins. I always do that with all my food, but I haven't done it with like sunscreen and a lot of maybe different things that I use. So now I'm like, oh crap, I need to make sure I <laughs> Go check my shower and and check what I'm what I'm using. You'll be amazed. Oh my god, seriously, that's one thing. If you okay, so when you guys are done listening to this podcast, and Nick, when you're done interviewing me. Go into your pantry or go into your personal camera and just start flipping things around. Look for high fructose corn syrup in your pantry, the easiest thing to get rid of. And look for parabens, which is the easiest thing to get rid of when it goes to your personal care products. And then there is a lot more, but that's a great first small step. All right. I will do that. Well, I want to make sure I get a few other quick uh, quick ones in before we get out of time here. So we, you know, you talked about how 
before you used to think like I eat, eat every few hours to keep my metabolism going and that's not what you do anymore. So I want to get back to that in regards to what you believe with regards to the frequency of eating. Well, first of all, something that I've found is so powerful um, is intermittent fasting. And uh, you, you'll hear, hear a lot more people talking about it now. And intermittent fasting has a variety. You guys can do a deep dive into it. It can mean a restricted time eating window. So let's say you fast for you know, 14, 16 hours a day, and then you eat the other hours. It could mean that you fast for an entire 24 hours. It could mean even a keto diet. There are different ways to do it. But at the bare minimum, and it's actually technically not even intermittent fasting, but to a lot of us, it is, which is we all need our body to rest and stop eating for 12 hours. The very least, if your last morsel of food or drink is 8 p.m., then don't eat again till at least 8 a.m. And start there. Um, I usually go between 14 and 15 hours probably for my fasting every day. Today, I oddly went 17 hours. I didn't mean, I didn't mean to go that long, but just happened. And, and hydrate, 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 hydrate. Black coffee, black tea are also okay as long as they have nothing in them. It doesn't break the fast. But make sure you're hydrating because a lot of times we feel like we have that hunger signal and it's actually just thirst. Yeah, great, great. And then the second to last question, also kind of practical and because I know it's something that a lot of people struggle with and, and I want to give your, see if you have any tips for people is if somebody has a sweet tooth and just you know, after dinner, every single night, they just have to have something. What is, <laughs> I know, same here. What is your, uh, either what you do or your advice that you give to other people and, and what you find works with people? Well, first of all, look, you guys, I've got two kids and I've got a sweet tooth. And so ice cream definitely happens in this house at least once a week, I, I, ideally not more than once a week. But what I do do, and that actually has some health benefits is dark chocolate. Looking for a minimum of 70, ideally 72% cacao Quick trivia, cacao, C-A-C-A-O versus cocoa, C-O-C-O-A. Cacao is cold processed, not heat processed. So all of the beneficial antioxidants are maintained with cacao versus cocoa. So just a quick little one there. But really looking for, for 72% dark chocolate. Um, and then instead of just chopping it right down, I let it slowly melt in my mouth. And I have to tell you one or two little squares, sometimes three, occasionally four, but it really does have an incredible amount of satiety for that sweet tooth that sometimes even if I have like, let's say there's a cookie or some other sort of dessert in the house, I'm like, Ooh, I'm going to have that. I still don't feel satiated with the sweet tooth. And then I'll have the dark chocolate. I was like, oh, I could have just had the dark chocolate and been fine. Not even had that co cookie. So that's where I like to go with it. Yeah. I like it. I like it. I know I've, I've no uh, people that do the same thing. My mother does the same thing. And I, that's one of the tips that I try to sometimes give people as well, but I didn't know the, the cold pressed or the cold process is uh, heat process. That's good. Um, all right. Well, before I ask the last question, Samantha, I just want to acknowledge you for a number of different things, but for you having the, the courage to go out to LA and pound the pavement for six years and work two, three, four jobs at a time and stick with it and never have this fallback plan. I think that's super admirable and, and something that a lot of people get inspired by. I know I'm inspired by. And then I also just want to acknowledge you for all the work that you're doing with giving back to people and, and giving them the, the tools and the advice that they need to make sure that they're living a healthy, vibrant life. I know you're doing that with so many people. So I just want to acknowledge you for that. Thank you. Well, I, I love being a part of this community that I am the, the leader of. But for any of your listeners who want to learn more about your healthiest, healthy community, again, it's a subscription-based membership. It's really 
affordable and accessible for all. And I'm really interactive on that. It's, it's my passion. It's what I do every single day. And I love it. And I, uh, I want to help you all get a little bit healthier every day. So it's your healthiest healthy.com or just go to Samantha Harris TV on Instagram. And all the links are in my bio there too. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Was just getting ready to call those out as well. So that's awesome. So you guys make sure you go follow her and, and check that out as well for, for more tips and, and pieces of advice and stuff. But last question here, Samantha, is I think that getting closer to the best version of yourself is both a constant journey and a unique journey. I don't know if we're ever at that best version of ourselves, And I also think that the way that I'm going to get closer to the best version of myself is a little bit different than the way that you're going to get closer to the best version of yourself. So for you personally, if there are three things that you can currently do or three things that you can currently work on to get closer to that best Samantha Harris that you could possibly be, and what are those three things that you could currently do or currently work on? Connection, constantly making sure that you're having those connections because that leads to longevity when you have those true connections. It's not about how many friends you have, but about the quality of friends and family surrounding you. So continually working on connection. And by the way, I do agree, it's the journey. And yes, we can get really close to that end goal, but I think that we are always learning, we are always striving. So learning, education, constantly expanding my my world of of wealth of information i'm always i'm the ever student i'm always studying and learning so connection and education and movement always increase the movement not just from the day to day go at it hardcore with my kickboxing or my bike ride or whatever it is but how else can i get movement into my day taking the stairs walking the dog and that makes a big difference to getting to the best version of myself mm. Connection, education, movement. I love it. I love it. Well, that's all we got today, Samantha. I know everybody got a lot of value today, so I appreciate you joining me. And yeah, it was awesome. Thank you so much. Love being with you. Thanks so much. That was such a fun episode with Samantha. She was so great to be around. Her personality was so fun, and I was able to learn a lot. Go learn more about Samantha on Instagram at Samantha Harris TV, and you can go to her website, Samantha Harris. Com to learn more about her community called Your Healthiest Healthy. I loved getting to hear about Samantha's career journey from knowing that she wanted to be on TV at age 12 and then actually making it happen all those years later after having pounded the pavement in LA for six plus years. I loved getting to hear more about her community and all that she's doing to help women live their healthiest healthy. There were a few things in there that I was really glad that I personally learned because I wasn't aware of all the toxic ingredients and things like makeup, cleaning products, and sunscreen. Be sure you go check out what you have at your home and throw out and replace what you need to. And remember to listen to your body. Be aware of what's going on with it because if Samantha wasn't aware of hers, she would have caught her cancer at a later stage and who knows what would have happened. Be sure you share this episode with a friend or family member who is looking to live their healthiest healthy and take control of their health. You can send them to nickcarrier.com slash podcast. But for now, it's time. It's time to go out there and take action, take control of your healthiest healthy so that you can get closer to your best you.